everybody. It's Tyler. It's Danny. And it's the Fried Squirms going to talk about the Green Inferno. Which, right before we get to our green hits, I should point out, like, there's got to be a fucking weed strain, right? Green Inferno? If not, it would, now would be a good time for it. Be some of that fire? I would hope so, yeah. Ah, oh, shit. Anyway, how you been, man? Yeah, not bad. Actually, considering all that's going on around the world, on my end, I'm doing fairly well. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty good, man. Still just... I mean, it's been weekend these past couple of days, but, you know, yeah. working because we're essential. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do feel essential. But, yeah, fuck that noise. Let's get to the green hits. Yeah, no doubt, man. So this week I did bring over a singular joint, and I need to re-up, so I think I was mentioning that to you before. But I did bring a strain called Pillow Factory, not to be confused with Pillow Pants. Not much different. <laughs> but the neat thing about this guy is that its lineage is based off the Blackfire and Mandarin Sunset strains. The THC level, it ranges between 25 to about 28%. On the terpenes, you get about 3 to 6% on the terpenes. But some of those that come to the forefront in terms of terpenes are the limonene, the beta-myrosine, there's elamine, and beta-carophylline. So I've mentioned a few of those before. The limonene, of course, gives you that citrusy. The myrosine is more for the couch lock, so this one is an indica dominant, and the carophylline gives you more of that spicy, kind of peppery flavor. So I do enjoy this one. It has a really cool, kind of like white hairs, some yellow hairs mixed in. Pretty good relaxing high, so no complaints on my end from that strain. Nice. I can't remember if I, I don't think I've brought this one up before. So today I'm mostly rocking some cherry pie. Nice. I did roll a joint that's like little bit of cherry pie, a little bit of Cinex, a little bit of Dark Star. Nice. Uh, but the cherry pie is a hybrid. It's Granddaddy Perp mixed with Durban Poison. Ooh, those are really good strains. Pretty well-known strains. Pretty right down the middle hybrid. Maybe just a touch more towards the sativa side, but not much. Yeah. Nice and calming. Like I said, I would describe its effects more, but that's not... I'm going to be smoking a mix today anyway. So yeah. that's in it. Like I'm throwing a hybrid that's packed on one side by <laughs> you get in pretty layers. heavy sativa and the other side is a pretty heavy indica. Nice, so man, you're going to feel the waves. That'll <laughs> yeah. be fun. It should be a good time. I'm going to take my first hit of some cherry pie though. Yeah. I'm just going to wait until we start delving into the film. The only other thing of note, maybe to mention a little bit on the downside, which kind of sucks, but I did see throughout the week, of course, Stuart Gordon passed and the composer for The Shining and some other films that passed as well. So fortunately, once again, we are losing people in the horror community. So it sucks, too, because a lot of these conventions are getting shut down because of what's going on. So if we ever understandably, well, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like it's a fault of their own. But my point being is, is, you know, the chances that we're going to be able to meet and greet a lot of these people are kind of dwindling. So if you ever get the chance in a safe environment <laughs> that doesn't involve a virus might be a, a good chance to do it. And don't be a dick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm one of those people that have been lucky enough to meet a lot of people that I greatly admire their art. Mostly musicians, not so much on like the filmmaking side, but not being a dick will take you a long way. So. Yeah, I mean, you, we have to still remember these are people just like you and I. But the Stuart Gordon one, though... Obviously, the composer for The Exorcist, that sucks. We both love The Exorcist, even though we've yet to cover it on the show. Right. We've talked about it numerous times in our different histories. Yeah, but it. very seminal. 
but Stuart Gordon's a pretty big hit because yeah, we started of off this show with Reanimator yeah. for a lot of reasons. Like that set the tone for what we wanted to cover. A little bit of the funny, a little bit of the grotesque, a little bit of the straight up horror with homages back to classic horror. You get all of that with that movie considering it's like Lovecraft based. You get the nasty, dirty shit with like decapitated head cunnilingus oh, and shit. Yeah, it's so, it's so great for several reasons, but I think for us, too, that was one of those milestone films for us growing up. So I think we've yet to decide for sure on which one, but we will be doing another Stuart Gordon movie coming up probably next week. Do we have something picked for next week yet? Not necessarily, not that I'm aware then of. Probably no. next week, sure. just to sort of mark the passing of the man, even yeah. though at that point will be a couple weeks late. But Oh, it's never too late to celebrate life and death, right? That's right. Well, shit, I took a hit. We're going to smoke some more as we get into talking more about the movie, so let's get right on to the Guts and Bolts. Guts and Bolts. All right. Guts and Bolts. Green Inferno. 2013 Eli Roth, but not released till 2015. Right here in the States, yeah. So there's a few years in between its festival debut and its actual release. The premise of this movie is the entire setup for this movie. Like, I don't yeah. know. It's not spoilers, but it is absolutely spoilers because it's kind of the only major event to happen in this movie. Uh, yeah. A group of college-age activists go down to the Amazon to help save indigenous tribes and end up on the menu for the tribes. <laughs> that's right. I like it. I mean, that's like you were saying, it's a brief spoiler-free synopsis of what this film entails. There's nothing about the marketing for this movie that ever hid that it was Eli Roth's love letter to the cannibal genre, so... I'm not even counting that as a sport. Like, <laughs> they end up on the menu, that's the horror movie. So. Yeah, and if you've seen the posters, you pretty much know what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, of course, from week to week, we like to talk about our cast and crew. You've already mentioned our director, who's also one half of our writing team. He's also one of the producers, and that gentleman, of course, is Eli Roth. And some of the other films that he's known for directing as well as writing and producing, include such films as Cabin Fever, which actually I think I saw that one before I saw his next film, which is Hostel. He was also the director and writer, of course, and producer of his follow-up to Hostel, Hostel Part 2. This is a fake trailer, but he's responsible for the Grindhouse Thanksgiving trailer, which is really cool. He was also the director of Nation's Pride. Do you know what Nation's Pride is? I don't. I don't. Nation's Pride is the movie within the movie of Inglorious Bastards. It's the movie that they're showing of the German kids gotcha. sniping all like the Like in the bell tower? Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that makes sense considering he's their Jew, so <laughs> there's that. Um, he was producer on Man with Iron Fists. Right. He's writer and executive pro- I didn't know that they did remake Cabin Fever, but he's writer yeah. and executive yeah, producer on it. I didn't know that. There's a lot of cast and crew who are also involved in the film Aftershock, which he was a part of the acting and writing and producing crew. He's known for directing the films Knock Knock, Death Wish, and more recently, The House with a Clock in Its Walls, which is really cool. Well, and we've actually talked about Eli a number of times because we were both watching through the history of horror on AMC. Yeah, and he gives some really cool insight into a lot of different genres. I've mentioned it before. I really like the guy. He's like a nerd that made it good. Like, I agree. He made it big. He seems to be having the time of his life getting to know the people and work with the people that he gets to, being heavily involved with like Robert Rodriguez projects and Quentin and all over the board like that. 
getting to make movies like this or Hostel or I just have a lot of, I don't know. I also just like look at him and he's like, actually like, he's not like any of these other directors. He's like super in shape. Yeah. No, I mean, he's, he's a handsome like, guy. Way to go for yourself, man. Yeah. You're sort of just doing it all. So you're right. I think he's a true fan of the genre and it shows in his film. So, uh, and he was an extra in Toxic Avenger 4, Citizen nice. Toxie. No shit. Oh, that's which really is cool. also just amazing. Well, so that makes <laughs> a lot of sense, too, considering, like I said, his fandom. So Nice. Now, I already mentioned that he is one half of the writing team on this, and the other gentleman is Guillermo Amoedo. He's helped write on actually a couple of Eli Roth's films. One of them includes Aftershock, even though Eli didn't direct it. He was a part of the uh, the acting crew in that. He's also responsible for helping write the script for The Stranger, the film Knock Knock, and more recently the film The Inhabitant. Our cinematographer on this film is Antonio Corsia. He's known for helping DP on the films Aftershock, the film Knock Knock, and the film No Filter. Our editor is Ernesto Diaz Espinosa. He's known for editing such films as Mandrel. He's also responsible for editing the segment C is for Cycle for the ABCs of Death, which actually he was also a director on mm. that film, which is really neat. And he's also responsible for Redeemer. All right. Our music was composed by Manuel Riviero. He's known for composing the music for the films Aftershock, The Stranger, Knock Knock, and The Inhabitant. Special effects on this, we've actually talked about this several times, is K&B Effects Group, Howard Berger, and Gregory Nicotero actually helped with the special effects, minus Robert Kurtzman on this one. Chiloe Cinema, they helped with the special effects, and Sobras Digital, they helped with the visual effects on this. This was produced by Christopher Woodrow, Molly Connors, Eli Roth, Miguel Asensio, and Nicolas Lopez. The production companies were Worldview Entertainment, Dragonfly Entertainment, and Sobras International Pictures. And Open Roads Films were in association with. The distributors were BH Tilt. The BH is Blumhouse. And High Top Releasing, they helped with the 2015 United States theatrical release. And Universal Pictures helped with all media for the 2015 United States release. The release dates were September 8th, 2013. That was in Canada at the Toronto International Film Festival. It also had a premiere date of November 2nd, 2013 in New York City in New York. And September 25th, 2015 here in the States in Canada, it got its worldwide release. The budget was an estimated $5 million. The box office, it grossed right at $12.9 million. So not a bad return. In the tagline, I do have a couple, two to be precise, but one of them is fear will eat you alive, and the second one is no good deed goes unpunished. I like both of those a lot. Nice. I like both of those a lot. All right, so that rounds out our crew, and moving on to our cast, I'm going to start off with Lorenza Izzo, and she plays the role of Justine in this film. Now, if you look at some of her films, which is really interesting, now she is a Chilean actress and model, but she actually got, I believe this is her first American role, I should say, was for the film Aftershock. She was also in the films The Stranger, the film Sex Ed, the film Knock Knock, the film Holidays, which we mentioned a few times with Kevin Smith, the film Life Itself, The House with a Clock in Its Walls, and more recently, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, the next actor I have is Ariel Levi. He plays the role of Alejandro, and he's been in such films as Fuck My Life, <laughs> Aftershock, and The Stranger. 
We have Nicolas Martinez. He plays the role of Daniel in this film. He's been in such films as Retorno, Aftershock, and Best Worst Friends. We have Daryl Sabara, which I think a lot of people probably recognize him once I start mentioning some of his credits, but he does play the role of Lars. Now, a lot of people will probably know him because he played the role of Juni Cortez in this Spy Kid film series, which is really neat. He's also known for... It's really fucking funny. I know it, man. It's wild when you think about that and then see him in this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but some of his other appearances include things such as Generator Rex, The Wizards of Waverly Place, Father of the Pride, The Polar Express, Keeping Up the Steins, Halloween, which is actually really cool, mm-hmm. World's Greatest Dad, Grimm, and America's Most Talented Kids, on which he was a judge, which is really neat. All right, moving along, we have Kirby Bliss Blanton. She plays the role of Amy in this film. She's been in the films Scar, Project X, and the film Death Wish. We have Magda Apanovitz. She plays the role of Samantha in this film. Some of her film credits include The Butterfly Effect. She went uncredited in the film Slither. She was a part of Kyle XY TV series from 2007 through 2009 and Continuum television series from 2013 through 15. And it makes sense because she is a Canadian actress. Oh, right, right. All right. We have Aaron Burns. He plays the role of Jonah in this film. He's been in such films as Best Worst Friends. He was also in the film The Stranger. He was also in the films Knock Knock. But I did write him down aside from his works as an actor because he's known for being like a graphics designer, visual effects supervisor on a number of films. Right, because he was a graphic designer on Sin City. Yep. A 2D artist on Grindhouse. That's really neat. A compositor on Machete. That's awesome. He was also a camera operator on Aftershock. He was uh, responsible for, or actually had a special thanks for the segment Second Honeymoon on the VHS film. He was actually a second unit director and DP and senior visual effects generalist on this film, The Green Inferno, which is really neat. All right, moving along, we have Agnasia Alamond, plays the role of Kara in this film. She's known for being in such films as Aftershock, Knock Knock, and Do It Like an Hombre. She's a Chilean actress as well, and her father ran for president of Chile not too long ago, which is actually really neat. All right, we have Sky Ferreira. She plays the role of Casey in this film. Now, she's actually an actress along with being a musician as well, which is really neat. Some of her credits include the films The Trust. She was in the films Elvis and Nixon, the film Baby Driver. A film I'm really interested in and actually need to watch is Lords of Chaos. And she was also part of Twin Peaks television series back in 2017. And I did hear a track that she's on by a band I listened to called Dive. Mm. So she is on one of their albums, too, so it's really cool. All right, we have Ramon. I don't know if this is how you say his last name. I'm going to try it. I'm not sure if it's Yeo or Leo, either way. Uh, yeah. But he plays the role of the bald headhunter in this film. And he's been in such films as Humanimal, Aftershock, Best Worst Friends, the film No Filter, and the television series Pharaohs from 2010. All right. This is actually really neat because I used to watch one of this guy's television series back in the day. But Richard Burgai plays the role of Charles, which is Justine's father in this film. And the show that I used to watch back in the day is The Sentinel mm. from 96 through 99, which actually he was The Sentinel in the television series. He was also part of 24, the television series from 2001 through 2002. He was in the film Cellular. 
fun with Dick and Jane. He was also in Hostel Part 2. You might have seen him in the reboot Friday the 13th. And more recently, he was a part of Desperate Housewives television series from 2004 through 2012. All right, we have Matias Lopez. He plays the role of Carlos in this film. You have also might have seen him in Aftershock, the films Downhill and Do It Like an Hombre. We have Antoinette Parry. She plays the role of the village elder. She was in such things as Secreto Matusita, Vanish, and the upcoming film, The Mystery of Casa Matusita. And last but not least, I have Paz Bascunyan. She plays the role of Lucia, and she's been in such films as Aftershock, Best Worst Friends, and No Filter. So that pretty much rounds out our cast and our crew. You gave us a synopsis. There's one more big part of the cast that I want to bring up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Most of the tribe you see in this movie are an actual tribe that had never seen a movie before, about 15 minutes upriver from where Aguirre, there's a, Wrath of yeah, God Yeah, there's was a filmed. Werner Herzog film, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about some of this? Because yeah, I think this all fits uh, This all fits a little bit more, I think, in this section rather than the how the did next, it make yeah. you squeal. But yeah, no, no I, I did a, a pretty good bit of research on this. I remember reading about it when it was when this movie was in production because I was super excited for this movie to come out. I Cabin Fever is great. I loved him as the Bear Jew, obviously. Hostel, I have a lot of respect for. I do like it. I'd have to rewatch it to tell you how much I like it. But I, I do have a lot of respect for how just extreme he was like, fuck it, let's do it. Yeah. By the way, it. here's torture porn, guys. <laughs> so the tribe had never seen a movie before were unsure about what to do. They were convinced into making this... <laughs> they were convinced into doing this movie because Eli Roth showed them Cannibal Holocaust. Well, he didn't. It was person on crew. Because I, right. I actually listened to an interview, but he, he mentioned that. Like, they were talking about that. Like, having to set up a TV and... Cause yeah, no, bring like, a generator out. Yeah, because they, a TV they, and they a don't DVD have electricity. Player. They've hardly any of them ever seen a movie, let alone a television set. You're right. And then he asked them, he's like, what did you do, show them Frozen or, you know, like a kid's movie to kind of, you know, ease them into it. And he's like, no, we showed them Cannibal Holocaust. He's like, why would you do that? And the guy told him, he's like, you know, you either tell them exactly what we're trying to do or, you know, we might just get kicked out. Like, either way, we have to go for it. Mm-hmm. And it worked because they thought it was a comedy. They thought it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> I don't think there's any known tribes to still be practicing cannibalism in the Amazon. Not that I'm aware of. So they all got that that was... Yeah, it's just make-believe. Make-believe from the get-go. But the other thing I, I continually see bring, people bring up in dealing with the tribe and such is that there's such a big storytelling tradition mm-hmm. that all you have to do is tell them that it's a story. Exactly. And that's what they took it as. It's like they couldn't believe that people were actually paid for a living to make-believe and tell stories. And so for them, it was a part, like you say, it was a part of that culture of storytelling. So it was easy for them to make-believe. They thought it was hilarious. The other neat thing is they did get paid, but they ran into another problem with that because this tribe maybe only barters with outside tribes a few times a year anyway, and so little of that has to do with actual money <laughs> yeah. that like, they gave them money for the times when it would be useful for them, but Paying them a salary means nothing to these people. Yeah, that's not uh, That's conducive. not their lifestyle. That, that doesn't help them in any way. 
So instead, they roofed all their houses and built them a kitchen. Yeah, I remember him saying that. And they were helping introduce electricity to that community or that village. Mm-hmm. So I was like, helping that's, get, that's like, really cool. Ex- power lines ran out there yeah, and shit. Yeah, exactly. Kind of modernized it a little bit. Because you're right, they're, they're not an actual tribe per se. They're more of like a group of farmers in they're, a yeah, remote a village. Super remote village. Not modernized, but not like an old school tribe like you normally think of when you right. say tribe. they're not savage it's more like, like descended from a tribe right and that makes sense cuz they do have contact like i'm sure there has been some amount of intermixing with the outside yeah world, i mean but not a lot <laughs> like i said nobody that lived there had ever seen a movie no which it's kind of funny too in a sense because roth talked about seeing a villager with like a utah jazz shirt on mm-hmm. because they have at least that much contact but the guy had never seen basketball didn't even know what the fuck the utah jazz were it just it was a shirt just had a shirt on <laughs> yeah so there's that but i thought that was really cool that they even were just like okay we can pay them <laughs> but that's not gonna help exactly let's give them something they can use right actually make a difference make mm-hmm. an impact and i think that's the the cool thing like you were saying it's them not going down there and exploiting it's actually they were helping them along the way uh <laughs> And what was it? Their production assistant that was offered the two-year-old? Oh, a child? <laughs> yeah. Wow. The, as a thank the, you? Yeah, they were gracious enough that they were offered. he was offered a two-year-old as a thank you. And he's like, oh, no. That's not necessary. That's, we're good on that. I'm not Epstein. <laughs> anyway, I think it was worth bringing up those I now rather than Much later. Because yeah. they're a huge part of this. Oh, part. yeah. I mean, they far outweigh the numbers of what we just mentioned. Right, in terms mm-hmm. of the cast. So, yeah, you have to mention them. And are great. Yeah, considering... I mean, it's not like they have to do anything spectacular. They have to f- fall into these roles that have been established by the cannibal genre since the 70s. But right. but still, for not even knowing what film is, to jump into it and do what they did, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Warnings. Oh, yeah. Have to give you warnings. We've mentioned it's a cannibal movie, right? Yeah, the tribe times. Cannibals. <laughs> so knowing, too, that this is an Eli Roth film, you're going to get your good amount of gore, blood, some weirdly timed comedy in this film, too. So there's a little bit of that. I mean, you could say it's sophomoric humor. Mm-hmm. There's some nudity. There is some nudity. Most of it is of more the National Geographic style. <laughs> it certainly is. Let's see. There are moments of simulated masturbation yep so you have to at least forewarn that uh drug use there is drug use language yeah i mean did we say language yeah i mean it goes kind of you're already watching a movie with cannibalism you should expect somebody to say fuck at least once totally agree (laughs) at least (laughs) once like i said i already mentioned you're gonna see a little peen yep but yeah let's just get into talking about it how did green inferno make us squeal How does that make you squeal? Green Inferno somehow ends up being the first Eli Roth movie we cover. I know. That is unique in terms of his filmography, but it's still a good entry point. I do feel like most other people would go with either Cabin Fever or Hostel. Once again, nothing against those movies. Rather enjoy them. We like cannibals. (laughs) We do. (laughs) Considering how many times we've talked about Cannibal Holocaust on this show. How many times cannibalism has just popped up in all yeah, these different oddly movies it has. Watched, like... It really has. Even among like the zombie... Well, I mean, not necessarily that it's cannibalism, but it's a form of, I suppose, Ravenous, films mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, on more than one occasion. 
Yeah, I think ultimately we just thought this was going to be a little bit more unique way of approaching Eli Roth's work, especially because we have already covered, like, Cannibal Holocaust, which this movie is a love letter to. Yeah. 100% of the way through. I mean, the title itself is a direct homage. Right. Let me see. I was saying before how I really like Eli Roth. I should point out that this movie is probably one of the reasons why people may dislike him Mm -hmm. at times. Especially because of some things he said. And, I mean, this movie's pretty obviously kind of about his annoyance with what, in 2013, when this was being written and then made, were more commonly referred to as social justice lawyers, although that term has evolved. And what he was referring to at the time is what we would now refer to more as clicktivists. Right, and he mentioned, like, slacktivism, yeah, Mm -hmm. clicktivism. It's just... People who are, in a sense, tweeting and using social media as a platform to showcase, you know, certain things around the world. But for them, it's not the altruism part. It's more or less getting, it's like clickbait or getting likes and followers because you're voicing this opinion. Not necessarily because you're going out on the forefronts and doing something about the cause, but you're you're more or less like joining the crowd. Yeah, it's the people that shared the fucking... Coney shit. Yeah, he mentioned that as a big one. And then made that a big part of their online personality that they were so good, yeah, but exactly. didn't do anything but share the link. Yeah, and then he also mentioned, too, you know, the shaming that's involved for people who don't follow that bandwagon, per se. It's, you know, it's also part of that, like, trying to shame people for not joining the same cause. It's just and an I, annoyance. I don't think from his statements that he's necessarily against people sharing that shit. No, but and not in that form they were doing it in. Exactly. The the way they were doing it, it was far more about them. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. far more about showing that they're doing something rather than what they were doing. And if you look at this movie and the actions that the different characters take and some of the lines that are said, yeah, I feel example. like that's more reinforced in this movie. Because they aren't thinking about anything. They're just doing it because it sounds like a good thing to do. Right. And I think using you know, the university and college kids as an example of that is a perfect way of reinforcing those ideas because they are, they're looking for, you know, a unit to fit into a a click, so to speak, no puns, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Or just looking for things for themselves, basically. Cause like Justine's obviously after that cack. Yeah. She loves the cack. Or she wants to love the cock and hasn't yet. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) Okay. So, Maybe a little, little slight history with this is I do remember when it came out because it was within this last decade. And for the fact, too, that, you know, I'm a Roth fan, knowing that it's just like his love letter to Cannibal Holocaust, I was like, you know, I'll give it a shot. And I remember the first time watching it through, I was like, eh, eh, it's all right. You know, didn't really make me want to go out and like buy a bunch of old school cannibal movies per se, but it's like, it's, it was not a bad film. Mm-hmm. So I'll mention my thoughts now because of what we do, but right. back when I first seen it, it was like, ah, eh, I could, you know, take it or leave it. I'll put it that way. I had been meaning to watch this for a while. I kind of used this podcast as an excuse to finally make myself do it. Hey, that was a part of the reason for doing this in the first place. Because I just, I couldn't ever make myself take the time to actually get around to it. Because, I mean, I fucking, I dig a cannibal movie, but most of the time in my off time, I've mentioned it before, like, yeah. I'm binging superhero shit. Like, Yeah, I mean, you've got your own interest outside of horror. Especially in this day and age, when you just kind of need something a little bit happier in your off time. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Which, I mean, Tiger King's been filling that up this week. Wow. but <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's awesome. 
Uh, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't still like the dark shit. And so it was kind of neat getting to finally dig into this. Ultimately, I mean, I like it. It's good. I find it maybe more rewatchable than Hostel, maybe even more rewatchable than Cabin Fever. But I also kind of feel like those two movies might be better than this oh, one. Yeah, I, see, I know what you're saying there. So maybe a good way to segue in it is just jumping into the film itself. And not the first time through, but the second time through, I noticed this. And I was like, oh, okay. So it opens up with an elder hunter with like a tribal boy, it looks like, in the Amazon. And they happen upon that construction crew who's clearing the forest. Right. And that Amazonian kid, or at least that tribal kid, is the kid who helps out later on in the film. So it's a form of foreshadowing. Not, oh, okay. not that we know it at that moment, but I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. I didn't realize that until the second time through. So that's kind of how it opens up. And from there, we get the introduction of Justine. She's waking up in her dorm room because outside, the activists are out there. And what they're trying to do is, well, they're doing a, it's not a form of starvation, but you know what I mean? They're, they're going doing on a hunger, hunger strike, strike. Yeah. slash kind of sit in on the quad. <laughs> yeah. And what they're doing is they're trying to uh, make sure that the janitors are getting health care on campus. and Which, cool. Yeah, which yeah, is cool. Do There's it. nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. You know, think global, act local. So that's what they're doing. And Justine, you can tell she has a liking to that. She's feeling some kind of way about that. I mean, not just about CAC, but because of the cause. Mm -hmm. And her roommate, who's Sky Ferreira, is giving her some shit. You know, of course, she can tell that she's into it and whatnot. <laughs> some of the conversations they have. Huge uh, foreshadow moment comes in just a moment. Do you ever actually see her boyfriend? Yeah, you do actually when they're eating pizza. Oh shit. Oh you okay. Just for a brief moment. I was just trying to think back on that. I'm like, I didn't Yeah, because really he's underneath the that, covers. And I do I do That almost that. would have been funnier if you never would have seen him never except seen for him. his foot sticking out. <laughs> that would have been pretty neat. So they're walking across the quad and you can see that uh Justina of course has her eye on Alejandro. And her friend says this line, and I think it's huge. Every time they said his fucking name, all I could think of was a goddamn Lady Gaga Yeah, song. I know it, man. <laughs> Alejandro. But what her friend tells her, Casey, who's Sky Ferreira's character, she says to Justine, she's like, you know, something about him being creepy. She's like, creepy or charismatic? She's like, well, the two do go hand in hand. You have to be careful about guys like that. And I was like, man, that's a huge warning, foreshadow. And that's kind of the neat, I want to say it's neat, it's not unique, but they do it a lot in this film. They're, they're setting up these foreshadow moments, they're setting up these character arcs and whatnot. Their little interactions are kind of funny, because first off, some of that shit does not fly today. Oh, no, 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 what she tells her. <laughs> but some of it was really funny, the fucking, I'm Jewish, I'm allowed to say that. I'm just like, Eli Roth, you sly dog. You are Jewish. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I think that was the thing, was like, it wasn't just her character, it was like, that was his way of... Being like, by the way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why it's neat for him using locations like Columbia University. It's very affluent. So a lot of these kids are coming from privilege in this film, you know, their characters. And to be doing a cause like this and talking about the fact that it's a form of fake altruism, you know, it's even more on the nose, especially from him. But I hate it because the neatest form of foreshadowing, I think, in this movie connects this very beginning part with almost the very end because did you put together the two things that the professor is talking about oh the female yeah mutilation and oh the ant ordeal yeah yeah i wrote that down too 
right? Because of who gets it at the end? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same ant ordeal. I think she no, was talking no, no, more about the, the bullet ants stinging the arm shit. Exactly, but no, no. It's like I realized that's what was going on. I was just on. like, because I, I only noticed the the female genital mutilation the first time through. Yeah, it was on the second watch. Right, where because I was you don't like, think about it. Because she starts talking about ants, and I'm like, like that has nothing to do with that conversation. And then at the end, yeah, not the ants. <laughs> But yeah, I thought that was kind of neat because that's what I did. I wrote down foreshadow. Well, there's a couple of things too. Is she also mentions in the class that the UN's is right down the road. My dad's a, a lawyer. Can't we do something about this? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like that's kind of setting up her next series of events along with Daniel's well, later down the road. Doesn't like Jonah write that shit down? Oh yeah, he's taking note. He's in the class. Like oh yeah. So all of this, it's clever talking points. Some of it. I know some people have a problem with the delivery of lines in this film. I mean, that's kind of a nag I've, I've seen people have. But they're setting up things down the road. And that's okay. This is a form of, of writing technique. So it's not just delivery of lines. I think I know kind of know what those people are getting at. One of the things I run into in this movie, because I do think it throws off the overall flow and vibe, especially of like the first half of the movie is everything involving the pseudo love triangle. It's not really a love triangle, but, but you no, know what I'm getting saying, at. Yeah. Is played weirdly melodramatically inside this otherwise straight horror comedy. Yeah. By the way, horror dark comedy. This movie is way fucking funny. <laughs> it has a lot of dark humor, which I think a lot of people, it can throw off. You know, maybe a casual viewer, like, what the fuck? Why would you put that... But I think it's a form of comic relief in a way. But all of the stuff involving any of the romance sections in the first half are played in this weird, almost absurdly melodramatic ways that oh, are soap, oh, like that are soap super opera. super obvious. Yeah, super soap opera. Yeah. I think it was a choice. I'm almost certain of it. To sort of you know highlight how much. Well, How much that's what these kids are thinking of. What I'm They're not thinking of the tribe. This is no, what's yeah. on their mind. Not only that, but knowing that the actors involved with that scene and the people involved with this film are are mostly Spanish, mm-hmm. maybe that's like their way of putting their little bit of that soap opera influence to right, it. A little yeah. bit of telenovela. Yeah. And I, I could see that because a lot of these people have worked on those. So anyway. It feels at odds with the rest of the movie, though. Yeah. And yeah. I can, if people are, want to get down on that, I understand okay. it. Yeah. I ultimately think it was a choice, but I kind of run up against it too, because it kind of, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah, in the end, it doesn't really make a difference. All right, so what we learn, and this is like right after the female mutilation class, is Jonah runs into Justine, and he gives her that act pamphlet or whatnot, and tells her, don't, don't think. think. act. Right. I wrote that shit down, because I'm like... Once again, this is who Eli Roth is getting after. Absolutely. And she does He's go to the meeting. He's not getting after people that know what the fuck they're doing. No, it's just like... Ugh. In my past, I've gone to group meetings for things that are not necessarily on this level cause, but like more, I don't know, like teen activism kind of shit. Mm-hmm. And when you do go to those things, you're like... When you see it for what it's worth, it's like, yeah, it's a good cause, but man, there's some shady shit that happens. So, anywho, she decides that she wants to go to that meeting. And that's when Alejandro's actually like talking about Peru and the indigenous tribe and what's going on. 
And she speaks up because of what happened recently with the hunger strike. And she's like, what are you guys going to do? Just go hunger strike through the, the, through the forest? Dude, Alejandro is a dick from the beginning. I can't believe... I wanted to like him the first half of this movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's Yeah, he's just not a likable character. Because he is the leader for this. And yeah. even though these kids are being stupid and are too involved with their own shit and have no idea even where they're going or what their entire mission is until they get there, which is, once again, I think just to highlight where their heads are actually at. Yeah, exactly. They don't understand the brevity. There's still good intentions there, and he's the leader of these good intentions, so I think you'd naturally want to like him a little bit. Yeah, even though he's think... a... Like, upon knowing where this goes, and second watching especially, I mean, it jumps out at you the first time, but you still want to like him. From the second time through, you're like, dude, Alejandro's a cock from the jump. <laughs> well, that's where that warning came into play. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like creepy and charismatic. It's one and the same, essentially. <laughs> All right, so what he's doing is he's setting up the event of them going down to Peru in, like, what, two weeks' time or whatnot? And over that course, Justine meets with her dad, tells him about what's going on. She's planning the trip. Her friend's telling her, you know, I don't think it's a good idea. 100% wrong. Well, you're 100% whore. Right. <laughs> they have that little conversation. But Justin goes, and they make it all the way down to Peru. And then, then uh, yeah, some of the conversations that we have to make mention, too, like set On up the things. way down, I just had to write down, poor Jonah. He's trying so fucking hard. <laughs> he is. You know he is. Oh, he wants that Justine. He's thirsty for Can't that Can't blame Justine. him, but yeah, it's like, like what old homeboy told him. <laughs> like... You're going to be in the zone the whole time, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well get used to it. <laughs> so one of the things I did write down is Amy. She foreshadows something in the film where she's taking like her anxiety medicine or pills or whatever. She's like, yeah, I don't like small planes. They make me nervous. She's like, I feel like we're going to crash. <laughs> and so they make it down there. One thing I like, too, is when they're making it down to the canoes, how kind of frantic that feels when they're amongst that I guess a group of fishermen and all that shit. Oh, right. gets a little chaotic. I, I, I kind of like that. I feel like that's a little bit setting you up, right, for things to come. The chaos. Hey, Danny. Donde marijuana? Ah, uh, yes. I hook you up, brother. No problem. <laughs> Bellissima. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that would be the first question we'd probably ask, too. So I got you, brother. You're good. Oh, fucking Junito. <laughs> Where the weed at? <laughs> right? <laughs> that was funny. So, because he gets that weed on their way down, right? Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, later on in the movie, Alejandro points out that the plane was probably fucking sabotaged to shut Carlos up. Yeah. So that, you know, the whole plan in general didn't get out. Because of how willing Carlos was just to hook Lars up with the weed for free... And it was a good amount. They weren't going to be there that long. He didn't have to give him that much. Was that the backup plan so the whole group would still be stopped by the cops on the way out of the country? I could see something like that, like a setup. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Carlos was already setting them up because of his company. He didn't know his company was setting him up at the same time. Exactly. His hands already been slicked. They've already been greased. Which still fits into that whole narrative that Alejandro was breaking down because... Yeah. Like, it's shitty, but he did just lay out, like, the whole truth of the situation for them. No, he did. He's like, this is the the reality of what's going on. You guys are just basically just suckers, <laughs> you know? You came down here with an idea. It's not what the reality is. Yeah, you guys didn't even do any fucking research. I know. 
Yeah, it's like she really did jump in feet first. But another moment I wrote down is when they are on the canoe ride and they pass that black jaguar. There's two warnings. Well, it's I, I think it's the duality of the nature of it is what it mm-hmm. amounts to. Is the guy's telling them that the Yawes think that the black jaguar is the guardian of nature, but they also think that it carries sinners to hell. So it's an omen to them. They think it's a good omen <laughs> for some. Right. Yeah. Long story short is they get down to the site where the construction company's at that's clearing out that section, and they chain themselves to the trees and bulldozers. Justine gets that fucked up block for a purpose. That was fucked up. In some ways, that's almost the most fucked up part of this movie. Yeah. Like, it you, was intentionally you know done. cannibals are going to happen. You don't know going into this that Justine just got played by the whole fucking group. Because her dad's a lawyer at the UN. Right, huge clout, especially for what they're about to do, is when the militia does figure out, because they they set that little pipe bomb or whatever it was off, is the militia enters and they've got their guns drawn and everybody's starting to film. And Justine, of course, is freaking out because they took her out of the locks, got the gun pointed to her, but they're streaming it live is what they're doing and using her dad's position. Fuck it, we'll do it live. Yeah, fuck it, we'll do it live. Uh, But you're right, they, they used... Her dad's clout with the UN for being a lawyer as a way of saying, look, look, you know, they're going to shoot the daughter of a UN member, blah, blah, blah. And it goes viral and they get a small victory because they, they get ushered off the planes and shit because they get the phone calls, like step down, the militia that is. Small victory, right? And Eustine rightly at this point, it's like, fuck all of you. Yeah, you can all suck a bag of dicks. <laughs> you too, Jonah. He's the one that actually kind of set the shit up in the first place. Right. Yeah. I do believe he genuinely felt bad by the time it well, yeah. came to fruition, but he, he probably is the didn't. one that set it up in the first place. Yeah, he knew that her dad was major clout, but he didn't. I don't think he realized like to the extent that it was going to get used. Right, I, yeah, I fully believe he probably didn't know about Alejandro and Cara's plan. Yeah, no, 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 I, I think they're the only two that knew that. <laughs> it may probably his girlfriend. Right. It. The rest were just pawns. But on that plane ride, when they have that conversation... And she's like, "Was none of this was worth it. He's like, look down below and tell me it wasn't worth it. You know, what not. And as she's doing that, boom, the engine goes out and shit hits the fan real quick. I did write a couple things down because I thought it was kind of funny. Was uh, Jonah vomits on himself? <laughs> Dude, that surprised the fuck out. I was like, oh shit, you went for the vomit? That's amazing. Wow, that was disgusting, but so, really, really fucking neat. I paid attention to it. I mean, not that you should, not, not, you know, but for what we do is like, I'm wondering if there's continuity through, is what I'm getting at. Okay. So when he throws up, there's, you know, that close up of him, and then you see the whole plane, mm-hmm. and it's still on his face. It's like, yes, <laughs> yes, they carried it out. All right, so that happens. Some of the people in the back get sucked out because a part of the plane gets, mm-hmm. you know, just torn to bits. And, I thought we uh, were going to see more from them. I thought later on we would run into more of their bodies all fucked up from... Yeah, considering what happened. Jesus You know what Christ. I mean? Yeah. That doesn't really ever pan out. Nah, maybe it lasts a little bit, but not much. No. Not much. But the only other bit of notes that I wrote down for that was in, when they actually do land is... The branch through the fucking head was dumb. That was awesome. That was really good. I did write that down, and uh, dude runs into the blades... That was fucking killer. That's what I wrote down, too. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. And then Kara, um, there was the girlfriend of Alejandro. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she sees, like, I guess part of the tribe and the... Oh, that was like, okay, I've seen an arrow she, through the neck. That was cool. But it was the follow-up where she gets it in the, in the forehead. That was pretty cool. <laughs> what I wrote down was I fucking lost my shit 
at Chick falling out of the tree. Oh, that was... <laughs> That was pretty. That's where some of that comedy comes in. Right. It's not really a comedic moment, but it kind of is. It really kind of is, especially because you just hear this, uh, <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's fucking surreal. So, like, Kara gets it, but the rest of them get sleeping darted, right? They do. You see the GPS about three foot to your right. Yeah. If you dive at it, <laughs> not only you're literally diving inside something. And there's even a door that you could potentially yeah. pull closed behind you while people you see are getting sleeping darted around you. You might not know it's a sleeping dart, but you see people dropping. Yeah. Why do you instead turn away from the door and simply yell, the GPS? <laughs> I know. Just to carry the plot of this film, but that's about the only reason. <laughs> but you're right. I'd be like, man, you got shelter. They're not going to break in. I mean, they might use limbs and shit, but by then you've got a signal out. If nothing else, you get to, like, push it down your pants before you get sleeping darted. Yeah. So that way you have it later in the Well, yeah, exactly. At least nothing else. Yeah, you've got it on your person. Because they still had that phone. It just didn't do them any good, right? Yeah. It's not like they were taking shit off of their people. No. A lot of their batteries are just dead. Yeah. Or they didn't have signal. Either one, that's always a good excuse. (laughs) So if he just would have fucking grabbed it and shoved it down his drawers and still gotten sleeping darted. He still would have been good because of satellites and whatnot. Motherfucker just had to sit there and yell, the GPS. Yeah, I don't know, man. One thing thing I had to write that down because I'm like, ah, idiot. Yeah. I get it, but (laughs) idiot. I was thinking that too when they were in that moment. We did kind of gloss over the fact that Spy Kid, when he's taking a leak. Oh, shit. You get to see like base and trunk. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. You don't get to see the head, but you get to see base and trunk of Spy Kid's dick. As a tarantula is walking by. I legit kind of thought that where it was going and because it was an Eli Roth movie that he was going to accidentally shoot his dick off. (laughs) That would have been awesome. No, he does get a little trigger happy, but it doesn't amount to that. The reason he said they shot that scene specifically is because the kid in in real life is afraid of tarantulas. Mm. And he knew that. So that's why he did that. It's like, all right, it makes sense. Good authentic reaction. All right. So fast forwarding, right? They've been captured. I like the chaos as soon as they get into the village. It's just drums and people grabbing, and mm-hmm. the girls are freaking out. They line them up when the elder comes out because what she's doing is looking at their stock <laughs> to see who's what I wrote down as the meatiest because that person is going to feed the tribe. Mm-hmm. And it happens to be Jonah. She doesn't have to check all of them out one by one to figure no, out who's the No, it's like, yeah, no, this guy's got the best meat on his bones. <laughs> And they fuck him up. They give him a drink. He's thanking them. How much do you think the drink took the edge off? Maybe not as much as that powder. Okay, yeah. Good point. (laughs) I think it's just a way to intoxicate throughout, but that powder is like puts you right there where you need Mm -hmm. to be. Yeah, that's my thought on it. Yeah, he got fucked up. Yeah, that was actually one of my favorite moments in this film. As fucked up as it is, for practical effects and what it signifies in the movie, it... That's the moment that really throttles this film for the rest of the film. I did feel like she should have went tongue first rather than the eyes first. Because it would kind of would have <laughs> yeah. explained the squealing noise he was making a little bit better rather than like full on shouts. Yeah, good point. But point. I don't know. Like, I don't know what noise I would make if somebody was gouging <laughs> my fucking eyes out. So maybe I'm wrong. It could be a part of the ritual, too. It's like that's the order they set things in. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. He started making some like piggy squeals he did. and i'm like come on man like <laughs> he did <laughs> but uh, I, I, it started making me think how many people would have tuned out seeing that scene right 
and like that scene and like the branch through the head and those are pretty some other shit. like there's some really good gore in this movie but i was still like this is pretty tame for eli roth it like, really is considering this is pretty tame for a cannibal movie once again i agree i totally agree with that this might be one of the more easily watchable cannibal movies, when you uh, stack accepting them up. like the sexploitation ones. Right, because it, it never really goes to an exploitative, I don't think, way, you know, like comparatively to these other films. Mm-hmm. Or like I said, even comparatively to his own films. Yeah, precisely, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in light of that, yeah, there's just those brief moments, though, I think that potentially could, because they, they are good. They're good. <laughs> He does a good job. But if you remove those, this film still is easy to digest. Mm-hmm. You know, just because we are in a South American country, Montezuma's Revenge is nothing more than good old-fashioned American diarrhea. <laughs> oh, that was actually my, my next note, because I did write down dark comedy, where Amy loses her shit, literally. Mm-hmm. I guess in, the, in that pig pen or whatever it is, essentially. Yeah, and it's like... Why would he throw it in there? I was like, that's precisely why he threw it in there. You're a fucking genius. I didn't realize that that's her literally losing her shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's like, <laughs> you know, the whole film, she's she's the one who has the anxiety and, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it would be natural for her to lose her shit. <laughs> At that point in this movie, I was, I'm just sitting there like, what the <laughs> fuck is this movie doing now? I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but oh, my God. I like... That they threw in the villagers laughing at her. (laughs) (laughs) Stinky. Yeah, because to them it was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I just didn't think that there was going to be like full-on diarrhea jokes in a fucking camp. I know, that's what I'm saying. It is campy, it's sophomoric, but me personally, I like that. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Way to go, Eli. Like, God damn it. Thank you for giving me this one diarrhea joke in a cannibal movie. Anyone else that does it is going to be extremely derivative now. <laughs> That's very <rigorous. laughs> All right. So after she shits herself and all that stuff, that's when Alejandro lays it out, lays everything out. Right. And, and he's like, fucking working for the corporations, bitches. Yeah. It's like, this is the way it is. It's just a way to grow our social activism. You know, PR is good for us. So <laughs> I'm growing the brand. What's yeah? What's you guys really willing to die for the brand? <laughs> yeah, basically, is what he said. He's like, you knew the terms. You knew what you were getting yourself into. At least you should have. Do the research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I wrote down the next little bit of thing was uh, Justine playing her charm. Oh yeah, for the kid. And then that's when the elder comes back out and she's lining the girls up because she's looking for a version. She's doing the old school version. She test. is. She's like, oh, oh, we found the winner. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of fucked up. Finger blasting. So I kind of assumed that, I mean, that's still not even technically a scientific test in any way, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to assume that for once the tribe got it right because that's kind of what the movie is setting it out to be. So... I assumed that Justine wanted Alejandro's cock. She had had the cock before, and she looked at Alejandro and was like, I bet he gives good cock. Mm-hmm. Not that she's like looking at him like, I want him to be the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I kind of thought, especially with the setup of learning about the female genital mutilation in the class, that the move was going to be that like she intentionally sunk herself down onto it a little bit to like scratch herself inside and produce blood because she knew that at least mm. she'd be able to survive I see whereas what you're saying. the others might get et. 
Yeah, yeah, that was her way of surviving. Even though we don't get that, but I was kind of wondering no, no, I, if that was going to be it. But, I, yeah, I think the way this film, nah, I think it's more. I think it'd be hard to show that too, <laughs> without actually showing it, right? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without us really knowing, I wrote down. Of course, it's also like a trope. We know that she's going to be the final girl. Typically, virgins yeah. are, you know. So he's playing on that trope just as well mm-hmm. as going back to her fear of, or the reason why she's an activist is because of female genital mutilation. Mm-hmm. She's being molested right now, essentially. And uh, the whole point, too, is we learn is they're prepping her to get circumcised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, God, my, is this fucked up? Right. All right. Moving a little bit forward. Samantha, this is where I wrote down she tries to make her escape because she ran track. So right. she can outrun them. And she does make it to the canoe because, you know, they throw the phone, throwing off the scent. This is where I really like it, once again, because it's it's dark, it's fucked up, is the tribe is feeding them those pork scraps, is what Alejandro says, and it's not until Amy digs into the bowl. She's a vegan, mind you, too, mm-hmm. so that they're setting that up, and she learns that it's Samantha because of the tattoos. <laughs> when Alejandro Damn. said it was pork scraps, I thought it was Jonah scraps. I could see that, just like fat, yeah. I thought we were going to see Samantha's death on screen. And so that was a pretty good surprise for me. Right. I thought we were going to, like, after that scene, get a cutaway or something once they realized it was Jonah and she freaked out and, like, puked all over the place. Because we just got a diarrhea scene. Like, why not add another puke scene? puke scene, scene, yeah. But no, and then she fucking... (laughs) Cracks the bowl. Cracks the bowl, fucking halfway through of Martyrs herself. (laughs) Yeah. What I like, too, is a part of that dark comedy is the kids are starting to wear the tattoos. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's so fucked up. (laughs) That's the one that, like, she's out. She's out now. That was her partner, it looks like. But then I, like, that part got me thinking. I'm like, after I saw what happened to fucking Jonah, like... (laughs) Maybe I would have made that call myself earlier anyway. Yeah, it's like, oof. Yeah, dire times. It's like, do I deal dire with that measures. shit? Or like, <sighs> in the middle of the night, do I just like, maybe slit the wrist and like... Yeah, try just, to break my neck. <laughs> yeah, something, man. Because it doesn't look like it's going to be a good time if I let no. the villagers yeah, do what I, they're going to do to me. I would much rather end it myself than let them end it for me. Yeah, none of Consider that looks their fine. methods. <laughs> no, 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 thank you. <laughs> All right. Fucking Alejandro. Yeah, he's fucked up. All right, this is this is what fucked up once fuck, again. Dude? He starts to beat it. <laughs> Just beat it. What he's saying makes sense, but what he's doing is fucked up. Because girl's dead. He's beating as me because, like, you know, in times of stress. He's literally trying for post-nut clarity. Right. <laughs> he's taking what Chris Elliott told Ben Stiller and something about Mary. You can't go out fully loaded. <laughs> you want, you're not thinking straight. <laughs> and he's like, we need all our wits about us. That's how I'm going to get my wits together. What I would have really, I mean, it would have been over the top, but if all of them started doing it. <laughs> well, I I'm mean, the leader. <laughs> I mean, you you already get to a point where he's basically choked me harder, daddy. But that's what I thought was, that was, I think, the like, all right, maybe we can't get everybody finger blasting and jerking it. But we can at least get some uh, asphyxiation, eroticism <laughs> things going on there. Choke me, Dad. <laughs> I did think that was funny because he was still doing it. <laughs> He's just like, look right in my eyes, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going for it. 
All oh right. my god! They break all that shit up, is what they do. What? This oh. <laughs> <laughs> is so funny. But they make another attempt to escape. Right? This is right. where Daniel and Justine get out. Uh, because what they done, they stuffed the weed down on Amy prior to all that shit. And when they cook her, they all get stoned. The villagers, that is. I have to admit, though, at, when they're it's doing silly. that shit, Alejandro giving them shit was the time I liked him most in the movie. He's like... They're Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah, was your fucking Scooby-Doo plan. He's like, you guys think they haven't tried any, a little weed? <laughs> like, yeah. They wake up and eat pot for breakfast. <laughs> like, <laughs> he does tell me. That is really good. I do like some of the dialogue, even though it's mm-hmm. you know it's a little campy. It's still good. It somehow works. You can't make <laughs> edibles like that, but no, 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 no. But I love that it worked though, like because it's pretty funny. Well, because fucking Grumpy Bone banging the fucking leg while stoned is maybe my favorite part of this entire fucking movie. In a bit, he's mocking a corpse, and then he's like contemplating really quick, <laughs> and then he falls asleep. The guy with the rooster or whatever hand lays out. They make the break for it, and then Alejandro is a dick again because he stabs Lars with that uh, dart, fucks El Boy up, and then that's when Spy Kid he, <laughs> meets his fate. Dude, I Munchies. was just sitting there the entire time like, Lars, why – you see what these people do. Why are you doing the finger sliding off trick? Because oh, you know they're just going to do that to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, show me another one. Do something other than making it look like your finger slides off because they will kill you and slide off a lots of parts of you. I was like, man, they're. I didn't think that they were just going to full on like, like gnaw at him. Gnaw at him, though. I did think that they were going to like bite off his fingers after he did that, but that would have been good. I think that would have been more comedic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> considering it's still kind of funny because he's like, they got the munchies. <laughs> he knew. He's like, oh shit. But he takes off and then they get him. And then another good gore moment. Like, his death is really gory. It's really good. Dude, how fire must he that... He leaned we- into it. He leaned how into it. How fire must that Peruvian weed have been if you got the munchies that bad? <laughs> Man, I'd like to try it. <laughs> right? That's that green inferno, son. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what that is, right? <laughs> Makes sense to me. All right. Daniel and uh, Justine, they make it to the uh, the river. Mm-hmm. That's where they get off to. And Daniel makes it across this like, little path they're they're walking and justine drops right in and the next moment you see her is down the river Uh, they said some of that you probably read too like some of that was real because Mm -hmm. they thought you know while she was going downstream that she was acting until somebody on on set realized like some of her screams were like she felt like she was about to drown and eli talked about that too was like one of the hardest places for them to shoot Mm -hmm. uh, because he says some days you go down there and the riverbed be just dried up and the other days be flooded so it was hard to it, you know. So what they just they realized like certain land points or landmarks were in case the river comes back they would go to, mm. and so that's why she took refuge on that rock because that was something close. Okay, <laughs> but it drifted her quick. Damn, and they kept some of that shit. Dude, rivers are scary. Yeah, no, it, some of it reminded me of around here. Maybe not to the extreme, but mm-hmm. rivers all around here. Anywho, they make it over to. The plane wreckage, because they're still looking for the GPS. Dude, when you saw all the impaled bodies, were you just like, yes, can I was. And then I started thinking, it's like, are they still, are they using the same, like, prop that that gal did all the way back in Cannibal Holocaust on the spear? And maybe you started to think about that. But then I started thinking, it's like, well, K and B's on this. I wonder how many of that's really body molds. Yeah. Which I think it's probably more likely. Probably more likely. Yeah. I mean, considering the way they looked. 
But that's a lot of makeup. Yeah. And it looked good. It did look good. But, but I was just like, yes, you guys worked it in. Yeah, that was Way really to go, cool. Eli. Yeah. Straight homage. It was really cool. They find the GPS. It's dead. Naturally, one of the phones in the pocket is going off. They get it. Body falls on Justine. Happens to be Kara, Alejandra's girlfriend, who falls mm-hmm. on her. <laughs> one last time. <laughs> right? They that get, bitch. They get recaptured. That's when Justine wakes to that woman prepping her. Mm-hmm. Like, putting her fat or whatever that is all over her body. Daniel is tied up, gets the ants. It's fucked That's up. A, it's and good. he gets busted up. Yeah. I mean, of course it's CG, but it still looks good. It still well, looks good. Well, I mean, good. before the ants. Oh, though, like, yeah. You're talking about getting yeah. his bones cracked. Yeah, that was fucked. Yeah. That was really good. That was good. but it was, That's a, a lot better. I think a lot better than the ants, but mm-hmm. ants is fucked up. The ants is, yeah. They were, that, that throws it back to what you were saying earlier about the ant ordeal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what comes to fruition is one of the villagers comes back with another crew member's head from like the other construction site. Probably the one with Carlos. Mm-hmm. And all out war. And in that time, the kid from the very beginning of the film gets juicy now because of their connection with the flute and all that shit. And she makes it all the way back to where they're fighting. Basically the front lines. Right. And she uses what she learned from her first encounter is it was dead. They didn't know that. It's yeah. just tell them you're filming. <laughs> Camera. Filmo. Filmo. You. Camera. Filmo. So... Yeah. When we were seeing the battle go on, so obviously the machine guns are going to win. Yeah. But we've seen how accurate these fucking villagers are the entire movie. I was surprised there weren't a lot more dropped militia. I know, man. I would have brought all those little sleeping darts with me. All of them. (laughs) That would have been quick. Just get sight and start blowing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So I get out of a lot of problems. (laughs) I mean, it's not my rules. You know? It's the rules of the road. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, desperate times, desperate measures, all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But Justine finds her out, right? And as the militia once again is approaching, she throws down the phone, makes it look... I mean, it's broken anyway, so... She gets out of this situation. Of course, Alejandro is the last guy who's left behind. She's like, yeah, nope, no one. Nope, no. <laughs> no, fuck him, right? It pretty much ends with her giving a deposition, right, with her dad and those lawyers or whatever. And she's speaking up for the tribe, as opposed to like, you know, they're savages, they're cannibals. That's what they want. And that's where the a little bit of that cannibal Holocaust social commentary comes into play from that film. Mm-hmm. Where the um, anthropologist is like, we can't show this shit, man. It's We're exploiting them. And she's pretty much doing the same thing as like, for her to actually be altruistic is it's not about her and what she went through. It's about that tribe, even though what they did to her... You know, it, it's in a, a different context, right? Because they always saw them as outsiders anyway, regardless mm-hmm. of what their intentions were. So she's protecting them and <laughs> pretty much wraps up the film. Like, she's just protecting the tribe, like, just to get those construction companies out of there. You know, they did nothing wrong. But I don't know if you listened or went through the credits once again. <laughs> Dude, I, I mean, it's been years and it's been years since he mentioned it, but Motherfucker makes a sequel based off of this ending i am there in the theaters because of that fucking the phone call in the credits there goes like a little crackle like and then yeah there's a phone call alejandra's sister's calling justine she's like we have a satellite image yeah we need to talk looks like my brother <laughs> i and can't he's talk right been, now 
assimilated into the tribe, apparently. Maybe. I mean, they did kind of make him a martyr. For, I mean, that's kind of how the film ends. I, I, I kind of skipped that. She wakes back up. She has a nightmare. Mm-hmm. She wakes back up in her dorm room. And outside, there's that activist group once again, like Free Samara. They're wearing Alejandro's shirt. So he's like, Che Guevara Yeah, it's like, they're, that's their Che. He's a martyr. And so that's, yeah, perhaps. Which also, that's one of those things, like, people stop doing that. Like, look into the guy. <laughs> Yeah. He's good for some things. He was really bad for a lot of other things. <laughs> right, 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 right. I, but that's that's what thing, this though. film is. Yeah. Look into it. Don't just do it. Right. Don't do, just do it because other people are doing it and, it and it seems exciting or whatever. It's like, yeah, you have to look at it all the way through, man. If nothing else, this is a very precautionary tale of all that stuff. All but, the stupid characters in this movie were telling you don't think, act. Yeah. So don't just do that. Think, then act. Yeah, exactly, because it shows you where you get. And that's another example, I think, not that we're doing this intentionally, but I think it's another perfect example of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. Because everybody had good intentions, it led them straight to hell. (laughs) Yeah, a green inferno. Yeah. Oh! Got him! (laughs) But I enjoy this film. It's definitely not for everybody. I think it's a, a good Roth effort. I think for him and... Kind of, you know, harking back to those 1970s Italian zombie films and given something that, in his words, and a a little bit in true respect to to some of the more recent Russia films, this film does kind of challenge you a little bit because it is chaotic. It it gets fucked up in times. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sugarcoat things. So that can be a little unsettling for a lot of people. But I kind of like that about this film, too. Yeah, I agree. I fucking, I really, like I said, I really enjoy this movie. It might be the most rewatchable of Eli Roth's movies yeah, for me. Um, maybe another, I don't know. I do have to rewatch Hostel sometime, though, because it's been a while, and I might like that movie more now, just after everything I've seen these past few years doing this show. Yeah, like, I mean, that's the kind of the fun thing, too, is, you know, it gives us a chance to, like I said, reflect on these films and maybe take them with a different pair of lenses. I have a feeling we're going to do Hostel before the year's out. <laughs> no doubt. It's a fun one, man. But uh, one last little bit is I will say this, is that Stephen King liked it enough to where I believe he like rented out some a space to, to actually screen this film for a lot of people. Wow. That's... <laughs> so if that's any anything of note... It's weirdly funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just goes to show. But he said the reason he liked it, too, is that it's like a throwback to him growing up, going to drive through movies and mm-hmm. just something that's a little bit more visceral, you know? It's like a midnight movie, essentially, drive through. So, yeah, he said that's part of the reason he liked it. It had that grittiness of the 70s. Yeah, I dug it. I think that's all I have to say on it. Yeah, I enjoyed it, man. That was a, a good way to jump into a Roth filmography. Like, I, I'm i not sure how much I would recommend it, depending on how much I already know the person's well, taste. I, I think, yeah, it's like, you know, if you're already not a Roth fan, you're, you're probably not going to like this film already. It's much like Zombie. is mm-hmm. If you have a propensity of liking those films, you're going to enjoy this. So next week, Stuart Gordon. I know we talked a little bit about it last week. Do we know what we should do? Do you have any uh, ideas? Should we just figure it out right now on air? Perhaps. Uh, (laughs) It's not that we can't. Because my votes would be either From Beyond or Castle Freak. Oh, those two are great ones. I already had Castle Freak on my mind. From Beyond wouldn't be bad either. I don't know which way I'm leaning, though. Should we just, like, flip a coin? I'm cool with that. I mean, it's not like we haven't. Let me go find a coin. Okay. So I'm going to say, what, what do you think should be which? Castle Freak should be heads? Yeah, we can do that. From Beyond would be tails? Okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'll flip it and let it fall to the ground? Yeah. 
Oops, or ah, fuck. <laughs> or fall behind books. <laughs> Tails. Yeah. So from beyond. All right, I'm cool with that, man. That's that's gonna be fun. Another H.P. Lovecraft kind of inspired yeah. story. So yeah, that's gonna be fun, man. I think we get a return well, of Jeffrey Combs, but yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, you're right. You're actually right about that. Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. Who love some Barbara Crampton. So yeah, that's going to be fun, man. So yeah, next week from beyond our Stuart Gordon send-off. Try to keep it together and not cry. I know. We can't promise anything, but we'll try. So in order to listen to that, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That'd be super cool. If there's a way for you to uh, rate and review, that would also be awesome because everything's run on algorithms these days and that just helps us out with those algorithms. You can also... Head over to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Check out all of our back catalog. You can contact us through the website or hitting us up, squirmcast at gmail.com. While you're at the website, you'll notice through the links up at the top that we're part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can follow those links to listen to the other shows on the network. You can listen to me talk about nerdy shit over on General Nerdery. You can hear my co-host from there talk about shit over on his other show, The Art of Wargaming, with like 40K and Machiavelli and all sorts of fun shit. More shows to come. What am I missing? Oh, social medias. Search for Fried Squirms. We're there. Yeah, we're all across the social medias. Hit us up. Yeah, and then like so once again, if you have suggestions, recommendations for films that you'd like for us to talk about, and or if you are a filmmaker and have a film that needs some eyes on it, let us know. We're always up for that. Yeah, I think that's about it. This was a lot of fun. I'm yeah, glad I finally watched this movie. Nice. Well, I'm glad that you did too, and I'm glad we got to, or at least for me, get to revisit it. This week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. out.